Today, we're covering another book by Esther Perel called The State of Affairs. Apologies for mispronouncing her name in the past episodes. What? You're only now learning how to say her name? Yeah, sorry about that. Are we going to spend forever on this book too? No, just this episode. We're not going to go into too much depth. Yay! Shallow understanding of things. So this book is about challenging the assumptions about infidelity. Like which ones? Like what counts as infidelity, or that the relationship and the adulterer is at fault, or that affairs are only destructive. So what's an affair? It's hard to define. Is a lap dance cheating? What if you have a purely online relationship? How about watching porn? Perel suggests talking about this openly so that couples can define the boundaries of their relationship and continually evolve those boundaries. Aren't affairs what happens in unhappy marriages? Going back a bit to her other book, Mating in Captivity, Perel reiterates her point that our expectations of marriage are too high. They're not meant to be an all-encompassing means to happiness. A happy marriage can be stable and nurturing, but this leads itself to boring sex. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with the marriage or even the adulterer. It's normal to crave the aliveness and excitement an affair can bring. Wait, it's not the adulterer's fault? Relationships are complex, and there are a lot of ways that partners let each other down, now with just cheating. Someone can be absent, neglectful, indifferent, or contemptuous. And affairs aren't always destructive? They definitely hurt, but they can also reinvigorate a marriage. Some relationships come out stronger for it, and even if the marriage is over, it can be reinvigorating for the divorcees. Like how? For example, Perel reached out to a former patient, Luke, to see how he was doing. Ten years before, she had told him straightforwardly that his marriage was over. He didn't take it well. He wanted to throw the coffee table at her and throw his wife, Anise, out the window. Anise had systematically rebuffed him in bed and then went on to have a two-year affair. Perel had talked to Anise individually and saw that the sexual gridlock was unlikely to change. Luke couldn't see it because he was trapped in the idea of keeping the family together for his daughter. Perel was helping him move on. Did he realize that later? Yeah, he does. I'm going to use the closing quote to finish the story. In retrospect, he tells me, it was brutal, but you were right. I think he knew that in my case. The best thing was to rip off the band-aid. Luke also remembered that I assured him there'd be a future. You said I'll be banging babes aplenty, and that I'll feel that electricity because I'll be getting a chargeback from someone who actually wanted me as much as I wanted them. You are right. I even found myself saying a silent and very sincere thank you to Anise and her boyfriend. And you know what? I used to have this excruciating back pain. It stopped the day Anise moved out. Anise may not have been the right romantic partner for Luke, 
but he makes a point of saying that she's been a great partner to raise a kid with. They are friends. They go to their daughter's soccer games together, and often he buys her lunch afterward. Have you forgiven her? I ask him. Yes, he replies, though at first it seemed impossible. He recalls how I told him that one day he would understand that forgiving doesn't mean giving the other a free pass. It's a gift one gives oneself. Sure enough, as time passed, he got it. As Louis B. Smeads writes, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. <laughs>